Brush up your Shakespeare. Start quoting him now. Brush up your Shakespeare. And no women, you will wow. Just declaim a few lines. Hello, Shannon Riley here, inviting you to join me every Sunday here on KSCF as I talk Shakespeare on Shannon Shakespeare Sunday. Every Sunday at 8 and 8, archived here at Kansas 785 Live, as well as on my own website, ShannonJRiley.com. Join me and let's talk a little bit about the bar on KSCF every Sunday, 8 to 8. Greetings once again. Shannon Riley here coming to you from Shannon's Shakespeare Sunday Show, where I get to talk to you about Shakespeare for the next 30 minutes here on KSEF Internet Radio. It's a pleasure to be back. Hope you all are having a great day. I'm really excited to start our our discussion about Shakespeare this morning. First of all, I want to start off, as I always do, with uh, my fun Shakespeare quote of the week. This week's quote is... Fear and scruples often shake us. From Macbeth, Act 2, Scene 3. There's always doubt when there's risk at hand. And Shakespeare is reminding us that if it really matters, it's going to feel risky. Our uh, book for today, I I really love this book, uh, um, but I want to warn you a little bit about it. First of all, it's Shakespeare After All by Marjorie Garver. Garber, sorry, Garber. Um, It is really a great book. It is uh, a very insightful look at Shakespeare's plays as it relates to his life and um, how he interacted with his work and the world around him. However, it's it not only is the breakdown of his works with his life, it is also written by a Harvard professor. And, you know, when I was reading that book, I kept thinking, wow, this really is a Harvard professor. <laughs> it is a little heavy to read through, but it is a great book. Shakespeare, after all, is uh, published in 2004. Marjorie Garber, check it out. It's a heavy read, but it's a very, very good read. And then I always like to do my fun Shakespeare fact of the day. Um, and um, today's Shakespeare fact is more of a theater fact. You know, for us and uh, the time we live in, we are used to having live theaters. Well, right now with COVID, we're not. But before COVID, we were. Um, buildings that were built specifically for theaters. And we kind of have this feeling that they have always existed. After all, the Greeks had theaters, big round platforms out in the middle, built into uh, hillsides. Um, uh, but in truth is, very few societies had built theaters um, before Shakespeare's time. Um, you just didn't see it, and you certainly didn't see it in London. Um, and theaters started to be built uh, around the late fifth, uh, 16th century um, uh where they were places where theater would happen, but weren't necessarily solely theater uh, buildings. They were also places of really a disgusting habit called bear baiting, where they would uh, attack a bear to a stake and sick dogs on it and bet on how many dogs it would take to kill the bear. Um, or they would have other events in that space. And it wasn't until later that Shakespeare and company built the first true theaters that were built just for theater. And um, I'll talk about that in a later episode. But the what I'm coming to is that a lot of our terminology about theater actually happened before there were theaters. For instance, when you go to see a show, a live show, and you sit in your chair or in the auditorium, you're sitting what's called the house. 
actors often say that's the house and on this is the stage. The house is where the audience sits. Why do we call it the house? Well, before there were theaters, a lot of performances were done in streets facing the inn or a hotel where people would come out of the hotel onto balconies or onto the lawn um, and they would watch the performances from the hotel or the house of somebody. And so that's how it came to be termed the house where you were performing to is the house. And that's my interesting Shakespeare fun fact that took me 32 years to get all the way to it. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, uh, once again, I'm Shannon Riley. Uh, I want to hear from you. Uh, you can reach me at shannonjriley.com. That's uh, R-E-I-L-L-Y, Riley. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, shannonjriley.com. Send me your thoughts, uh, any questions you might have or suggestions for future episodes. I'd love to hear it. Any comments? Uh, I'd love, love, love to hear it. And while you're there, Check out the space. That's my website, shannonjriley.com. You'll find my plays uh, as well as some short films and all of these podcasts. So I'd love to have you uh, check it out and see what you'd like to see. Speaking of my plays, quick little um, side note, my play Morbid Curiosity, which is a romantic ghost story will be produced uh, here in Kansas again this February. Uh, I'm very excited that the city of Leavenworth will be producing Morbid Curiosity for Valentine's Day. It's a really sweet, romantic story. I can't wait to see it again on stage. Um, but um, I hope you all take a look at it. And if you'd like to read Morbid, just drop me a line. I'd love to send it to you. I think it's a really, really sweet play. Um, and I also promised you updates on this exciting theater company that I'm working with right now. It's called Lady Shakes. It's an all-female company uh, dedicated to the uh, great classic works, but predominantly Shakespeare. But we're not necessarily just married to that. However, we are in rehearsal right now. We're working on an all-female production of um, Midsummer's Night Dream. And um, we've been in rehearsal for a few weeks. We're only meeting once a week and outside due to COVID. Uh, as we go forward, we're rehearsing in masks, keeping social distance. Uh, I've staged a show with as much distance as I possibly can. Um, and we're really, really excited about it. We're hoping we can um, pop up and do a performance here in Topeka before winter. Uh, if not, we will do it first thing in the spring. Um, right now, what we're, we're, we want to get the show stage. want to make sure everybody knows what what uh, um, we're doing, uh, what the characters are doing. Uh, and as soon as we're comfortable with it, we're going to start popping up and doing that show all over town. It's going to be a free event, um, and it's going to be an all-female Shakespeare company. Lady Shakes is incorporating as we speak, and I can't wait to see what the ladies are going to do in the future with this wonderful uh, company that is completely new and completely exciting for all of Northeast Kansas. So I'll keep you abreast of everything Lady Shakes as we go on. Now, last week I started talking about little, my little Willie, his childhood, but you know what? I kind of got off and started talking a lot about his parents and how they got together. And so little Willie didn't get as much attention as I meant to give him. So uh, I'm going to talk now, finish a conversation. But first, a quick recap. Uh, John Shakespeare, William Shakespeare's father, and his mother, Mary Arden Shakespeare, are married, had eight children, um, and five of them uh, reached adulthood. Uh, William was the oldest one to reach adulthood, although he had two older sisters who passed away in infancy. Um, Shakespeare would have been a young boy... Uh, when his father was really rising 
um, in the society of Stratford-upon-Avon. He'd become bailiff. He'd become uh, the taster of beers. I mentioned last week that would have been a great job. Um, and he was bailiff. He was mayor. He was really an up-and-coming member of the society. Now, I also spent a lot of time talking about whether or not John Shakespeare could read, and it's my contention that he could read. And I think it's very important to really understand whether or not he could or not, because if he could read, and I think he did, um, he would have known the value of an education. And it's Shakespeare education that I want to touch on next, because it's that thing that Shakespeare deniers tend to attack the most. Shakespeare couldn't have had any education which is totally erroneous and um and it's formative in Shakespeare's ability as a writer and uh it tells us a lot about him as a grown man and how and what kind of father he becomes due to his education now Shakespeare himself since his father was on the rise would have attended Petty school first. Petty school is kind of our preschool. They uh, Stratford had a petty school for boys and girls, oddly enough, although very few girls are thought to have attended. Um, but petty school was where you learn to read and write, basically. It was very basics, rudimentary ra- reading, rudimentary writing, uh, rudimentary math. It was that very simple staple. And you would attend these classes starting about at the age of five. Now, when people think of school and today, they, they, they tend to think of it in today's um, idea. Elizabethan school days were very different. One, they were long. They started at 6 a.m. and went to 6 p.m. They took a two-hour break for lunch. That was it. So they were going to school from 6 to 6, and they were doing that six times a week. Add to that that on Sunday, where you were required by law to attend church and also more religious study. So growing up in Elizabethan England was not a great time for kids. You spent a lot of time in school. And so once you finish petty school, though, for a lot of particularly farm kids in Stratford and the surrounding area, they would have been done. They would have gone back to work at their father's farm or wherever or gone to an apprenticeship. Um, And this is where some people think Shakespeare went. He went to an apprenticeship somewhere doing something. It's possible because no records exist from the school, the grammar school that would have been uh, at uh, in Stratford. But there was a grammar school in Stratford. It was um, managed by the guild. It was very well paid for. Um, They brought in teachers um, who specialized in various disciplines. And Stratford had a strong belief in education for boys, particularly boys of upper society of their group. And that would have included William Shakespeare. Now, no records exist of the students. There are records that exist of who taught. And we can even track back who would have been teachers of Shakespeare at the time. But we can't prove who went to school and who didn't. But most scholars believe, and I certainly believe, and I'm not a scholar. I am a Shakespeare enthusiast, not a scholar. Uh, But most scholars do believe Shakespeare did indeed attend that grammar school. Um, Now, years later, Ben Jonson, a playwright, and I mentioned this quote last uh, week, I believe, uh, made a comment that Shakespeare was a man of little Latin and less Greek. 
And people have held on to that quote as being the reason why they believe Shakespeare had no formal training whatsoever. Well, compared to university wits, no, he didn't. He didn't attend university. But he would have had a ton of Latin. Kids who attended these schools were not only um, taught Latin and had to write and converse in Latin, they were taught how to debate, they were given religious instruction, and they were given reading materials and required to learn about the classics. And it's this requirement to learn about the classics that really strikes me that Shakespeare attended these grammar schools, because one of the books that related so much to his writing was Ovid. The work of Ovid really inspired William Shakespeare. You can see it in his writings itself. And because it inspired him so much, um, it, it, is a, it is strongly the belief that Shakespeare attended this school, as would of his brothers. Gilbert, his little brother Gilly, who was two years younger than Shakespeare, would have also attended school. And this was harsh school. It was not only was it six days a week from six to six, but the teachers were allowed to beat you if you weren't learning your lessons, if you did not do your memorizations, if you could not quote the Bible, you got beaten. And um, you didn't go home and say, Dad, my teacher beat me without getting another beaten because your teacher beat you. So this was a very harsh environment. Shakespeare would have learned a great deal in that time. It's probably true he didn't really learn a lot of Greek. I'll give Ben Johnson that. But he would have had Latin. He would have had a lot of Latin. Now, Shakespeare attends this petty school, or the grammar school came after petty school. He would have attended this grammar school until he was 16 if he were to graduate. But something happens before he reaches that point. Shakespeare's father, John Shakespeare, is arrested and charged for illegal dealings in wool. Wool was a hot commodity in Elizabethan England, and it was highly regulated. And Shakespeare wanted to avoid the taxes, John Shakespeare. So he illegally purchased some wool and was reselling it and got caught. He has levied massive fines, and this was the downfall of John Shakespeare for many, many years. He stops attending guild meetings. Um, he is fined horrendously to the point of he could not possibly pay the money back and um he starts to rack up debt and he starts to lose his position in society as this happened it happened around the time shakespeare was 13 14 years old somewhere in that area well shakespeare and his brothers would have been pulled from school they were no longer allowed to go to the free school because they were no longer a part of genteel society in stratford so shakespeare doesn't finish school he doesn't finish grammar school, and as a result, he can't attend university. Um, so what did Shakespeare do? Where did he go? And what led him to arrive in London as he did so much time later? Well, we're going to talk about that after the uh, break here, and I'm going to start breaking down what theories exist. And again, I want to say theories. We do not know. We are entering into what is called the lost years, a seven to ten year bracket where information about Shakespeare is just hard to find. But there's a lot of really wonderful theories, and I'm going to share you some of my favorite ones on the other half of this break. Once again, I'm Shannon Riley. You're listening to Shannon Shakespeare Shundays right here on Internet Radio. And we will be back after this short break to hear more about Willie. So stay with us. And as always, stay barred to the bone. We'll be right back. Thank you. Welcome back. This is Jen Riley once again coming to you live from KSEF Internet Radio 
Um, I'm not really coming to you live, actually. I taped this earlier. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I'm alive when I do this. How about that? All right. This is Jen Riley. You're listening to Shen and Shakespeare Sundays right here in KSEF. And we took a short break, and now we're back talking about Shakespeare and what happened after he left school. We don't know. Thank you for tuning in. No, we just don't know. We don't know what happened to Shakespeare after he left school. Um, certainly, his brothers would have been removed as well. Um, Gil- Gilbert would have been around 12 or 11 years old when he was uh, out. Um, Richard would have been even younger, and Edmund would have been younger still. So how much education his other brothers got is a very big question, particularly Edmund, which I'm going to touch on a little bit later. But Shakespeare himself would have left school and entered into what's known as the lost years. Now, here are the things that we know Shakespeare did. Shakespeare met a young lady, a woman by the name of Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway was a daughter of a sheep farmer who lived very near Stratford-Vanavon. It would have been an easy walk for him to go and court Anne. Uh, his uh, uh, Anne's father had passed away a year before she got involved with Shakespeare, and she was living in her uh, family home with her brother, Bartholomew. So um, she would have been older than Shakespeare by, I think, about four years. And so Shakespeare is suddenly dating this older girl. Dating is probably not the right word, but he was visiting her. And we know that he gets her pregnant and uh, they get married. Now, the idea of this being a shotgun wedding isn't necessarily true. Shakespeare's in Elizabethan time, people got pregnant outside of wedlock all the time like they do today. But it wasn't this massive scandal that people tend to treat it to now. As long as you announce your plan to marry and announce your bans in church that you were indeed intended to marry, if a woman got pregnant before that marriage happened, it wasn't uncommon. Matter of fact, many times when the bans were announced, the young lady would go to live with the young man most of the time in the home of the young man's parents. That's certainly what happened with Shakespeare. He was still living at home when uh, Anne was um, uh, pregnant. Um, So in 1582, about the time he should have been graduating from um, his grammar school, which to us would have been high school, um, he uh, and Anne become pregnant. Um, Now, there was kind of a rush to uh, get married. The reason for that rush was the fact that it was coming up on some feast days and holidays where marriages were banned. You could not get married during that period without special dispensation. So they really kind of did rush to get the marriage license so they could get married because Anne did not probably want to wait until after those feast days when she'd be heavily pregnant. Um, what's interesting is that Shakespeare, along with a couple of farmers that were friends of, um, um, Anne's father, uh, ride in to get the license, uh, and, um, uh, the wrong name gets put on the marriage license. Shakespeare, uh, well, the man's name is right. It was William Shakespeare, but they name her as Anne Watley. Um, many people have pointed at this and said Shakespeare was dallying with two different women. Truth was, there was a Watley on that marriage license um, uh, because there was another Watley who had just gotten a marriage license before him, and they believe a very tired registrar wrote the wrong name. And because it was Anne and not William Shakespeare's name that was wrong, they didn't worry about fixing it. It was just the bride. Sorry. Uh, As long as they had the groom's name right, they move forward. And so William Shakespeare and Anne Hathaway get married. Now, they end up 
with three children. Oh, Anne was eight years older. I'm sorry, I, I, I misspoke earlier. Anne was eight years older than Shakespeare. I'm going to touch on this uh, later when I talk more about their relationship, but I, that was a big problem. Anne was becoming already at an age where she was a spinster or considered a spinster. He's 18 years old. She's eight years older at 26. Most women were long married by then. And so um, was there possibly a romance that, um, well, led to a pregnancy uh, and then a probably unfortunate marriage after that? We do know that after their first daughter was born, her name was Suzanne. She was born in 1583. Uh, he went on to um, have more children with um, Anne Hathaway, Hamnet and Judith. His twins were born in 1582. Um, so we do know. He, or 85, 1585. We do know that they were living in Stratford. He moved Anne into his father's house um, with his siblings and his mother. And that was quite common at the time. But then a track of Shakespeare disappears. The next thing we know of Shakespeare for sure is he's a playwright in London in 1592. He's written Venus and Adonis, his big poem, in 1593, and The Rape of Lucine in 1594. So we know where he's at. He's in London. How did he get there? What happened? Now, a lot of theories have gone forward. Um, one theory is that he left Stratford-upon-Avon because he poached a deer in Sir Lucy's uh, forest and had to run for fear of prosecution. This is ridiculous. This is simply ridiculous. You you were not prosecuted for poaching a deer. He may have paid a fine. Uh, they talked about how he would have been beaten or horsewhipped. No, no, no. The, the whole story of Shakespeare being a deer po poacher didn't even have any relevance until 100 years after he was dead. So it's highly unlikely that that's true. What is possible, and I love this story, is that he might have gone to be a school teacher somewhere to raise some money. Now, remember, his his father is in trouble. His father is not making money. The glove business has really dropped off and he's got fines to pay for stealing wool. So Shakespeare, ostensibly, becomes the breadwinner for his family, not only for his new wife and her children, their children together, but for his mother and siblings. He's got to find a job. Is it possible he went to teach? And pointing towards Lincolnshire, which was northern London, or northern England, sorry, uh, Michael Wood in his book, In Search of Shakespeare, contends that's where he went. He went up north and taught for a private family. There is a um, notation in business papers of a wealthy farmer um, in this county who left payment for a one William Shake shaft. Um, now, why the name change? First of all, we hold much more credit to spelling and names today than they did in the Elizabethan period. They really didn't worry about it. And uh, even Shakespeare, close to Shakespeare, all right, that's probably him. Maybe it was him. Maybe it was somebody else. We don't really know. But here's the fascinating thing. In that man's home, in his private library, they discovered not only multiple books from the period, but a worn copy of Ovid. Shakespeare's favorite author. And all over this book, scribbled in the margins, are notes by the school teacher about important passages, passages that end up appearing in Shakespeare's plays later. 
Is this the hand of a young Shakespeare writing notes in this little book that's hidden away in this library in the countryside of England? We don't know. It could have been. We don't know. And uh, that's what's exciting about it is was uh, is this book possibly the remnants and remembering of uh, Shakespeare's hand? It, 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 it's one of the exciting things about his lost years is where he could have gone. He could have stayed in Stratford. He could have worked for his father, although his father's business was falling off. He could have gone work for someone else. Some people have even fathomed that he joined the army and went overseas. This is highly unlikely. Shakespeare doesn't strike me as the army type, but on the same side, his writings give no true indication of travel abroad. Uh, matter of fact, he does a horrible job of geography in his writing, claiming some cities had ports that did not. He just was not a world traveler, but he did travel the world through books and through reading, and he read ferociously. So this could have been Shakespeare, what Shakespeare did. He could have been writing. Um, he could have been teaching. He could have come home and stayed home. But how did he get to London? Another great theory is that acting companies that had to leave London due to the plague or just to try and make extra money traveled around the countryside. And we know for a fact that they went to Stratford. One company in particular arrives in Stratford around 1586. It's the Queen's Men. And it's one of the leading theatrical companies of the time. But before they arrive in Stratford, they have another stop. And at that stop, two of the actors got involved in a drunken brawl. And one actor killed another in self-defense. He was acquitted and sent on his way. But when that acting company arrived in Stratford, they were one actor short. Some people theorize that Shakespeare talked his way into the company, was able to join them, and that's how he got back to London. If he did, he couldn't have hoped for a better company. The Queensman was the leading um, theatrical company of the time, with Edward Allen at their head. They could have possibly ended up in London with them or with the Lord Strange's men which is another acting company, which sounds even weirder, but it's true. Um, in any case, he did not go to London alone. You just did not do that. He would have had no introduction into the world of London and into the world of theater. Yet there he is in 1592 writing histories in London with a brand new company called the Lord Chamberlain's Men. And these are the people he spent the rest of his time in London with. So... We don't know how he got there, but I love the idea that he happened to be in Stratford with three kids and had the opportunity to join an acting company traveling all across England and ending up back in London. We do know that even though he left his family behind, he cared for his family. Money was sent home. Uh, his parents were provided for by Shakespeare as well as his siblings. And he kept her, his wife and his children well provided for. Um, actors at the time, particularly when he became very well known and very popular, he was sending home a lot of money and buying land. When other actors and other performers were having portraits done and spending their money lavishly, Shakespeare was buying land. So by the time he returns to Stratford-on-Avon, not only does he own the second largest house, but tracts of farmland and he can provide for his family beautifully. 
So he, I think he loved his kids. And I think he really did want to take care of them. And is another question. And I'm going to talk about that in another episode. But it's possible that Shakespeare may not have been totally in love with Anne. But he did stay dutifully married to her. Uh, did he have affairs in London? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. But he cared for his family. And here's the other striking thing that we know and why I think he cared for his family and why I think his father could read. That is, Shakespeare found it very important for his children to read. All of them. Suzanne was taught to read. Suzanne went to petty school. Suzanne learned to read and write. And so did Hamnet, and so did Judith. So, this gift that his father might have started him on, this gift of education, when he was a small boy himself, attending petty school and then grammar school, was a gift John Shakespeare gave to the greatest writer in the world. And William Shakespeare returned to give that gift to his children as well, even his daughters, which is considering all of the women in his life, his mother, his wife, his sisters, all of them were illiterate. Shakespeare gave his daughters an education. I just find that really remarkable. It did not happen often, even then. You know, there is a, a, I remember a quote one time where they said that in this early 1600s, in the countryside, illiteracy was 60 to 70 percent of the populace. But in London, it was just the opposite. People could read and write, even women. And Shakespeare would have liked that. They were a literate crowd who attended his shows. They were a literate crowd who bought his plays and his poetry, and his poetry made him a very wealthy man. And I'm also going to talk about the sonnets at a later date, too. That's about all the time we have for this uh, week's episode, but I wanted to give you a quick uh, programming note. You know, it's October, which is my favorite time of the year. And um, so next Sunday, I'm going to stop on the um, talk about uh, Shakespeare and his life. So I'm going to move that back another week because next Sunday is the last Sunday before Halloween. And I want to touch on Shakespeare's ghosts and witches. So join me next Sunday for Shannon Shakespeare Sunday when I focus on the macabre and scary, the witches and ghosts in Shakespeare's plays. Once again, I'm Shannon Riley. I want to hear from you. Please visit me at Shannon at ShannonJRiley.com. That's Riley, R-E-I-L-L-Y dot com. I want to hear from you and um, hear what you really would like to see me do with this show. I want to thank everybody here at KSEF Internet Radio. And remember, everybody, stay barred to the bone. Goodbye.